Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now certified productive environment specialist and ADHD productivity coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design, and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek. I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. A strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Hey everyone, Katherine Avery of ProductivityByDesign.com and your host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. Today I have with me a special guest, Caroline Burley. She is a former data analyst turned financial coach. She has an economics degree from Yale and worked as a data analyst in the environmental sector, first at a consulting firm and then in higher education administration. She's a mom to two young children and she credits the COVID-19 pandemic for kickstarting her business. And I think maybe if you're game, we could start there because I think this pandemic had a lot of people kickstarting their business or shifting it majorly like I had to, to accommodate a new world, which has a lot to do with being virtual and working from home, whatever that might look like. So you game? Sure. Yeah. Love to hear how you started this, what inspired you? Well, so I've... You know, when people ask how long I've been a financial coach, it's, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of a hard question to answer because on, on one hand, you know, I've kind of been doing this, I'd say since 2008, you know, informally, you know, I was always the person, you know, to my college roommates and, you know, to my roommates after college and to my coworkers in the office, always encouraging people to sign up for their 401k and, you know, at 22, telling people they should really open a Roth IRA and they really wanted to invest for retirement. And I was met with a lot of <laughs> eye rolls and, you know, why, why are you talking about retirement? We're only, you know, 22. Right. But I was very excited about the math. I was like, look at the math, you know, look, look at, you know, you could stop saving so much sooner if you start so much earlier. Mm. And so, you know, this is something that's been a long time personal interest for me. And you know, really been helping people over the years informally, but it was the pandemic that really created this into a business. And, you know, I found myself with my second daughter born in the pandemic and there was no childcare for a period of time. And my kindergartner was home doing home kindergarten for a year. And, you know, I I kind of ran out of maternity leave and, and I decided finally, you know, it's what I need to do is really to go out on my own and be able to control my schedule you know, to be able to scale up and scale down based on the needs of my family. And I sort of thought to myself, you know, what is it that I can do? You know, what, what, what career can I create for myself? And I remember reading a, an email from a, you know, somebody who recommends people start businesses. And 
you know, his, he had a few prompts in there. And one of them was, you know, what, what do you like that other people don't like? And, you know, what are you good at that other people, you know, aren't good at? And I, I sort of thought about it for a few minutes and I was like, oh, of course it's personal finance. Like I'm the one who, you know, I love creating budgets and I love helping people with their money, but that's not something that comes naturally and easily to many people. So I realized, well, maybe, you know what, there's maybe a business here. And so that's, that's how I, you know, that's how I got started. And it's really, it's really the pandemic that I think catalyzed that for me, like it has for many people. That's fantastic. I think I would say first entrepreneurial journey, not an easy one. And we can sit here and say, oh, it's so easy to change my schedule, which is not what you said, but I can hear people thinking, huh? wow, it must be great. You could change your schedule around. Well, I don't know about you, but I bet you dollars to donuts, at least when my kids were little, my kid was little. I only have one. I sometimes did some work at 10 p.m. because I knew that I had certain deadlines and I didn't have a choice. So it looks kind of rosy and happy and <laughs> whatnot, but there's, there's a lot of work behind all the joy oh, yeah. and passion entrepreneurs bring to the table. That's definitely for sure. I think I, I did not realize going into this, but you know, I, I think I'm, I'm working far more hours now than I was in a salaried nine to five job, Right. but I'm able to squeeze them in when it makes sense for me. And, you know, that might be weekends, it's evenings, you know, it might be in the middle of the night if my baby wakes me up and, but I'm able to do it on my terms, which is really the value right now for me. Absolutely. I totally get that. And that's why I opted to work from home all these years because it, you know, if, if, if one of the kids gets sick at school, someone needs to be available to run out and get them from school. And it's not, not everybody has a full-time nanny. (laughs) (laughs) What what is that? (laughs) But, you know, a possibility. And if it's in people's budget, that's great. Good for them. I, I think that's wonderful. So you you said that uh, not everybody loves doing finances and budgeting and figuring these things out, and that's your superpower. But I have ADHD, and I can tell you it's not my superpower. So I'd love to talk a bit about, I know some of your clientele have ADHD. What do you sort of do differently for people who have ADHD? Yeah, that's a, so that's a great question. And I guess I'll, I'll start by saying that, you know, I think the challenges that people with ADHD have are not any different necessarily than the challenges that you know, the regular general neurotypical population has. It's just, I think people with ADHD tend to have more of these challenges and they're magnified. Yeah. So, so yeah, so things like, you know, losing track of bills and paying bills late and incurring, you know, overdraft fees and late fees and things like that. These are things that everybody struggles with, but they really are magnified for people with ADHD. And then on top of that, one stat I read recently, there was an article that was like a you know, journal article that was looking at the earning power and the pay of people with ADHD compared to those who are neurotypical. Yeah. And it said something like, I think it was a 17% less than neurotypical peers. So what ADHD folks with ADHD are earning. And so there's that sort of, you know, reduced earning power. And then layered on top of that is the reduced earning power of women. Right. And so you have all these challenges around these extra fees and bills and, you know, lower, you know, if you, your credit score is impacted by paying your bills late, then it's going to be more expensive when you want to buy a car or buy a home and things like that. So not only are there greater expenses, 
related to the challenges of ADHD and managing money. But then on top of that, you have the reduced income and, you know, magnified by the reduced income for women. So between the two of these things, it's even more important for people with ADHD to be able to overcome these challenges and manage the money that they have even better. So it's not to say that people with ADHD have different challenges necessarily, and the money challenges are universal, but it's just sort of how many of them are affecting you and kind of the degree to which they're affecting you. Right. So the solutions and the strategies that I recommend for clients with ADHD are the same ones that I would recommend for anybody, but I think it's even more important for somebody with ADHD to implement them. You know, somebody who is neurotypical maybe is not getting overwhelmed with paper bills that they're receiving in the mail and they may not have, you know, they may not struggle to put the bills on their calendar and remember to pay them on time. And so even though that person would benefit from automating their bills and doing those types of things, you know, it's not necessarily going to make or break them, but for somebody with ADHD who is struggling with those, those aspects of keeping track of the bills and, you know, paying them on time, automating the bills for them is going to be a much bigger impact and a much greater benefit than somebody with, you know, who is neurotypical. So automated bill bill paying has changed my life. And when I get a paper bill now, I'm like, really, really, why did you even send me a paper bill? Because it is going to fall into some crack somewhere, never to be seen again. And so I'm always happy when someone calls me and they're like, hey, we we noticed you're about a month late paying this. We'd really like your payment. I'm like, hold on, let me get a card. I'll pay you right now. And they're like, really? And I'm like, do you have automated payment services by any chance? And nine times out of 10, people say yes. Mm-hmm. And they're delighted because they're just taking care of it. Because with ADHD, not always, but sometimes it's not that we don't have the money in the bank account. It's that we don't have the executive functions that allow us to remember to actually take care of these things. And it's mm-hmm. something my husband who does not have ADHD doesn't get at all. He just means like, just get the bills paid. And I'm like, just don't remember. And the other piece, and I'm sure you can talk to this, is like, we find it boring. It's yeah. boring. I don't like bill paying. I don't want to do bill paying. I had a client who would come to, I run something called Productivity Power Hour. And she said she hated invoicing clients. It would just loathe it. But you know the problem with not invoicing your clients? (laughs) You don't get paid. So she would come to Power Hour where she had basically body doubling and set up her invoices and send them out then. And then she's like, by the next week, I know I was getting paid. It was great. It's just not our superpower. For some people, it is. I know plenty of people with ADHD who are great with finances, not mine. Yeah. And so that idea of taking the tedium out of managing your finances is really important too, because, you know, I think setting good systems at the beginning and really kind of automating things, it's more work in the short term, you know, to set up these systems and, you know, call up all these, you know, all the people that you owe money to and set up these automated systems. It takes more work in the beginning, but it does pay such long dividends over time of, you know, you set it up once, but then the next month and the month after that, you're not going to have to spend your time doing that. Right. And so I, you know, I kind of, I like to say to my clients, you know, if we only have, let's say you want to dedicate a total of one hour per month, you know, to your finances, let's not make it be an hour of paying bills because if you're paying bills, then you're not going to get to the more important stuff, you know, the more important decisions you don't want to waste your time on those sort of low-level tasks that you can automate. So as much as possible, automating everything, but understanding that, yes, they're in the short term. It's going to be more work in any given month, 
to get these systems set up, but it's the long-term, the long-term picture that's important. I think you've said something really important there, which is this idea of if you only have an hour to dedicate each week, each, each month, or let's say each week, but each month, you're not going to have time to get to the higher level tasks. And one of the things you started about really early on was young people and this opportunity to be able to start saving for retirement. And I'll, I'll never forget, I was working at AIG at a very good friend. And she was really in a panic because she just got, she told me she got a raise and she wasn't doing any of that savings. And by the way, she was like 25. She wasn't 45. And I said, are you putting money away towards retirement? You know, in your 401k and no, that's so onerous. It's just sad. I said, you know, it's going to get offset on a tax basis. So if you were to say this year, just do 2%. Take 2% of the increase you got this year and put it towards retirement. And then next year, do 4%. And the next year, do 6% and keep adding so that it doesn't feel like such a suck out of your raise. You know, because when you're first starting out, those raises are like, oh, thank God, finally, you know, I can afford something, whatever that something is. I've, it's kind of been so long, I've forgotten a steak dinner, maybe, <laughs> you know, a dinner out instead of just always cooking from home and you know, like the raviolis in the can. Because, <laughs> you know, when you're first starting out, you know, the first bills are things like, I got to have a business wardrobe. I need to have furniture. There's kind of big things ahead of a nice dinner out. So she did that. And she was really pleasantly surprised by how not onerous it was. Mm -hmm. So I'd love you to really talk to that because I think there's so much more to that than, than I talk about just a little personal experience. Yeah, no, that's definitely for sure. And I, you know, long-term, the key to financial success is really growing the space in between your income and your expenses because mm. you know, if your income and your expenses are always equal, you're never getting ahead. You're never putting away money for the future. And the more money you can put away, the more that money can grow and start to work for you as opposed to you always having to earn your money. Right. So really the key to financial success at whatever income level is really making sure that your expenses are lower than your income. But like you're pointing out, you know, when you're starting out, it can be really hard to do that. And I think it can be really, you know, overwhelming and discouraging when you you look up, you know, what's a savings rate that I should be targeting? And you may see like, you know, 15%, 20%. And when you're currently saving zero, that's a really discouraging and overwhelming number to look at. And I think a lot of people see that and they say, oh, you know, I guess that's not for me or I guess I'm living paycheck to paycheck and sort of get discouraged and and decide not to do anything. And that's really, that's the most dangerous thing of all. And so, you know, it's really important to start wherever you can. So if that's right now, if it's just 1%, that's great. That's the better starting point than zero. And then, like you said, when you get those raises, those are really the time that people can make the most progress because there's a limit to the amount of expenses that you can cut. And obviously if you have, you know, expenses that you can cut, you can start there. But really, you know, when you get that raise, you can decide, you know, let's say it's a 3% raise. Well, let's take 1% or 2%, put it towards that long-term savings. And then as soon as you adapt to that higher spending level, you're never going to go back. You know, it's very easy to, very easy to increase your standard of living and very difficult to decrease it. Yeah, so, that, was a, yeah. that was a shock for me when I went from working in Wall Street to being an entrepreneur. <laughs> and it took me a couple of years to undo those spending habits because I was so used to having had a six-figure salary. And when you start out in business, you know, your first couple of years, you may or may not have a six-figure salary. 
Mm -hmm. So that was a big surprise for me. Yeah, so definitely, you know, important to start young. But if you didn't start, you know, five years ago, there's nothing you can do to change that. But, you know, starting today and it's not a short-term game. You know, it's really a long-term game. Right. I have on the, the FAQs in my website, I say, you know, can you help me save, you know, $20,000 in three weeks? And I said, no, no. you know, that's, <laughs> that's not how it works. It's, you know, it's really slow and steady. You know, it's the proverbial hair in the, the tortoise. So yeah, slow and steady. Yeah. And, you know, you could save $20,000 in five years if you can really watch what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've succeeded at that, but, you know, and then we can, we can talk about the layer though of compound interest. Mm -hmm. When you, when you start to put savings away, it compounds. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, I think the math, I mean, even to me, it's always surprising whenever I look at it, it's, it's like a snowball, you know, when you're, you know, you're a kid and you're making a snowman, you start with a tiny little snowball and it's really small and it's, you're rolling it and rolling it. And it's, it's only growing a tiny bit. But all of a sudden, once it gets to a certain size, it starts to really get big, really fast. Right. And that's the sort of, you know, you have that picture in your mind. That's the real power of compound interest. And the more time you can give your money to grow, the, the better. Another thing I wanted to mention about sort of the 401k savings, especially, is that it's the sort of out of sight, out of mind phenomenon mm. that's really important as well, that you know, human nature is to spend the money that we have access to. And it's really, really hard to not spend the money that you have in your account. And so, you know, that takes great willpower and great self-restraint to say, okay, I have this money, but I am not going to spend it. It's much, much easier and much more powerful and and has a much greater chance of success to just take that money out of your account, take it out of your ability to spend it, save it before you even see it. And so that's why, you know, opting into your workplace 401k or 403b or, you know, automating a contribution to a Roth IRA or anything like that, you know, just taking that money and and taking the human element out of it because it's wishful thinking to sort of say, you know, at the end of the month, whatever's left, I'll put it into my savings. And that just never happens. If you take that approach, you know, you probably won't have anything to save. Right. But if the first thing you do when you get your paycheck is to take some of that money and set it aside and then spend the rest then you know that you've met your goal of saving and then you know that you can kind of guilt-free spend the rest of your money. So yeah, so that's that's definitely an important piece as well to kind of take that human element out. ADHD folks and others, you can automate that as well. I mean, you can mm-hmm. set it up with your bank and say, each month I want this money to go from my checking to my savings account. If that's an addition to your 401k or Roth or whatever you have, I have two investment accounts and I have no access to them. And my financial manager was said, oh, do you want a checkbook? Do you want a debit card? I said, I want nothing. <laughs> Don't give me any access to this. If I really, really need like rainy day money, then mm-hmm. I'm going to have to call you and get it. Well, you know, how much do you think I want to make that phone call? Not too much, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So that's another way. Just don't allow yourself access to the money. Exactly. Yeah. And and something that a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, when you set up your direct deposit with your employer, you know, if you have a, a salaried job or you can specify two different accounts if you want, it doesn't necessarily all have to go to one account. So right. sometimes, you know, what I'll recommend is, you know, have, you know, some amount of money directed to your 401k, but then also have, you know, maybe not get a hundred percent of your paycheck into the same checking account. Maybe, 
you know, if you want to have a separate account at a separate bank, like you're saying, so that you don't really see it on your day-to-day basis, right? but have your employer put, you know, 5% or 10%, whatever that is, or ramp it up over time into that other account. And then that can be your emergency fund. And again, the same idea of if you never see it and you don't have access to it, it's much easier to save it and not spend it. Right. That's really actually brilliant. I didn't know that, but I also yeah. haven't drawn an employer paycheck yeah. in probably 20 years uh, because I work for myself. <laughs> so I wouldn't necessarily know that. So that was great. Thank you for sharing that uh, strategy because that's a really, really good one. I know my husband, the way he has his, it goes to the 401k. I, don't, I honestly don't know if he has it go to two checking accounts or not. My hunch is probably one. But we do have a checking account for household bills and monies that we earn go there first. Mm-hmm. So once we know we have the family household expenses not covered, then we can think about what other things we might, might want to be doing from a standing, stand, from a spending basis. Mm-hmm. So that is also helpful. And he's really good at all that, which is fabulous. Me yeah. Keeps my little ADHD brain on track. <laughs> right. Well, the challenge is that, you know, the default system is that people have a checking account, a savings account, and probably like a handful of credit cards, maybe like a, you know, store credit card that you open, right. you know, to get a discount at one point, and then maybe an Amazon card and a Target card and a travel card. And, you know, very quickly you have, you know, four, five, six credit cards. And it's really like, it's just really hard, even for somebody who's neurotypical to keep track of all of that, because you have money coming into your account and some people are getting paid every other week. It's not even twice a month, you know, so kind of that pay date rolls throughout the month and you don't necessarily know exactly when it's going to be. If your bills are hitting at all different days, it can just get very confusing, very fast for anybody. And so putting into place systems, I like to say, it's, you know, Setting up systems that can help you succeed by default are really important. And so these automatic savings, those are all part of that same idea of, you know, if you set up an intentional system that will allow you to succeed by default is, you know, that's the best way to go. And it's the same with what you're talking about of, you know, potentially there are all sorts of different strategies, you know, like I, with my own money and what I recommend to clients is really aligning all the bill payment dates so that they hit at the same time. So, you know, I have pretty much every single bill that gets paid out of my account go between, you know, sometime around the first, second or third of the month. So that by the time the third of the month hits, I know exactly that everything has already been paid. You know, I know whatever's left, um, you know, is, is there for other spending. And, and so, yeah, that system works, works for me. I have clients who, who like to have a second checking account that it's sort of like, you know, like your allowance when you were a child, like that could be your allowance spending account. Right. And so that really helps to put some guardrails on spending around discretionary spending. So you may have all your bills tied to your primary checking account, but then maybe once a week or once a month or twice a month or whatever frequency really works for that person to have money transferred into this second checking account and have a debit card tied to that account. Because it's much easier for us humans to see an amount going down and to know, okay, I have $500 to spend this week, or I have, you know, $50 left, right. Instead of seeing a credit card bill and, you know, the credit card bill comes due later, later. (laughs) Exactly. And so triangulating all these numbers in your head and all these different payment deadlines, it's really confusing. So, you know, setting up systems that really kind of don't let you fail is what's really important. 
So that yeah. spending checking account can be really powerful for people. So I have, I need a piece of advice then <laughs> because you said something that I didn't realize. I have three credit cards mm-hmm. and my two credit cards hit somewhere between the 25th of the month, maybe actually four. I like, Tw- I think I have four. I have one for the business. I have two businesses. So I have one for each business. And then I have two personal credit cards. Yes. So I have four. So I have, and by the way, the business credit cards are only used for the businesses. So they, when I set everything up with my accountant, he said, he was like very clear. He said, you want separate credit cards for separate businesses. He said, you're going to be confused as heck if you don't. <laughs> so here's my question. I have three that hit sometime between the 25th and the 3rd. And one that hits around the 15th and it's the 15th one that I constantly forget to pay. So Mm -hmm. how do I get the company to move me from the 15th to between the 25th and the third? (laughs) Do I call them? I mean, I've never thought about this before. Yeah. So you, you, you know, you could probably be able to do it online. It depends, you know, it depends which company it is, but it's usually pretty easy and pretty much every bill. I think I've, I've only run into a few that they won't allow you to move it, but most of them, you can just, you tell them when you want to pay. Great. You know, obviously not with your rent and, you know, your mortgage and those no kinds of bills, <laughs> but pretty much everything else, like, you know, your cable bill and your phone bill. And interestingly, my electric bill, I, I haven't been able to convince them to move that. They say, just pay it late. They're like, there are no late fees. So I'm like, that's, you know, anyway, it's a technological limitation. Yeah. Well, but pretty much everything else you can you can change the date. Great. And it's it's really helpful to just, you know, especially if you have multiple cards to just know that they're all hitting on the same date. Even if they're all on auto pay, I think right. it's just, you know, I kind of I have a little reminder in my calendar, you know, whatever that day is, just go in and just check that they all processed correctly. Well, and you know what? You want to check, and I'm sure you know this, but it's important for other for people who are listening. You want to check because you want to make sure that all your charge is yours. I mean, mm-hmm. I just had this happen. I immediately canceled my American Express build. I was in a full-blown fit because Barnes & Noble, New York City had a charge on a day I wasn't in New York City for $25. <laughs> so I immediately canceled the card and then found out that was my annual membership for Barnes & Noble. <laughs> but if I hadn't, and there's another story around this too. My daughter was supposed to take her SAT and I have a thing that comes up of, uh, What's the word? A reminder? That's not the right word. But an email that comes and it mm-hmm. says, your credit card has just been used. And I have this on all my credit cards. And I can look. And American Express sent something that said, you've gotten a refund from College Board. And I thought, what? And it was about 10 days before the SAT. They had canceled it. Do you know, we never got notification from College Board that it had been canceled. And... The only reason I knew it had been canceled was because I got this thing saying American Express says you have a refund. What? So really important. Check your bills. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying you have to check them every week, but once a month or so or set these reminders up. They're fabulous. They're great for people with ADHD to have these, you know, by the way, you just spent (laughs) 60 bucks at, hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. Now, um, it's a good way to remind yourself. So there's definitely value, even if it's on automatic payment, to go in and check your bill and make sure that all those things that are being spent are yours. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes when I suggest that people, you know, should switch to an automated, especially credit cards are really important to pay automatically because even one missed payment can have such big repercussions, you know, 
to your credit score for years, potentially, you know, and if you're about to buy a home or a car, something expensive that you're relying on that credit score to, to really get you the best price, it can be very expensive. So, but I do encounter some resistance because people are, you know, often, you know, they might be used to having to check the balance of their their checking account, for example, before right. they're paying a bill because they're worried in the past it's, you know, it's bounced. And so it's it's definitely important to keep an eye on everything. But yeah, definitely I would say automate them and check, but not necessarily. I think some people don't want to automate it because they want to check it before they pay it. But even if you've paid it, the credit card companies will still, as long as you flag it within the certain amount of time, they will right. still, you know, defend you. So Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're great about it. Don't get me wrong. I just, um, I just know it's important to do that. And I, I, what I have on my calendar is twice a month, a, a time slot for an hour. And it doesn't mean I use the whole hour. It's just the reminder, check things, make sure everything's set up. You know, I run two businesses, which means I have a lot of um, bookkeeping type stuff that needs to be set up. I do have a bookkeeper, but there's still things you have to do as a business owner to get ready for the bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, that's my time, an hour, twice a month. That's two hours. That's really not the end of the world. I can kind of suck it up in the brain department for two hours of boring finance to get those things done. So just a thought from ADHD land over here. And speaking of productivity and ADHD and whatnot, what's your favorite productivity strategy? Oh, you mean around money specifically? Anything you like. Any productivity. Uh Uh-huh. Let's see. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of sort of stacking like with like, you know, so having a day to do all your client meetings and a day to do all of your email correspondence or, you know, kind of stacking, not a whole day, but, you know, just having larger chunks of time of similar types of work to rather like, yeah, reduce the amount of impact on your brain from switching from task to task. I think that's a, a very valuable one. And yeah, definitely have a, a money block. That's a great one to include in there. But unlike you, I I, I look forward to my my money time. I think it's I'm I sure. think it's a lot of fun. But of course, that's why that's why I'm running this business. So I love it. Well, that's what makes, as my father used to say, that's what makes buyers and sellers. I'm sure he still says it actually, but I just haven't heard him say it recently. <laughs> what was I gonna say to that? I do that. So I have meeting days, like days that I will take meetings. And that's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, client meetings, other meetings. Wednesdays tend to already be chock full of various sort of learning things I do. And they're always on my calendar. So I stopped putting any other kind of meetings into Wednesdays. And then Fridays are my day where I might meet one or two people first thing in the morning, because sometimes people just need to be in touch with me and, and make that happen. So I, I have that flexibility. But right about 10.30, you can no longer access me on Friday. And it's not because I'm taking Friday off. It's because I'm taking time to really do some focused work. Mm-hmm. Because I may not have gotten to it all week. And started blocking part of Wednesday afternoon to do that as well. Because mm-hmm. I really need that focused time. So I, it's a really important idea to be able to stack your days or theme your days from a time management standpoint. This was amazing. Lots and lots of great strategies on financial management. Caroline, who is a champ at it, how can people find you? So I'm online. I have a website, untangleyourmoney.com. And yeah, 
untangle because generally when people come to me, it's, you know, it's kind of like a big tangled mess of, of credit cards and checking accounts and they really straighten everything out together. I love it. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.